Hi, welcome to the Holton Baptist Church podcast. We are really glad that you have joined us and we pray that the message you're about to hear will really bless you, encourage you and help you to encounter God afresh for yourself. Great to have you with us. Enjoy. Well, it's uh, it's our last sermon in this particular series, uh, our series called Gifted. And so it is, of course, time to add our final member to our rogues gallery of people we've been imagining. I'm going to have to find a new way of starting sermons uh, from next week, but that's okay. That's down to me. So here is who I would like you to imagine. I'd like you to imagine someone who speaks for God. Someone who speaks for God. Now, perhaps you're imagining a prophet, and given our text today, that's entirely appropriate. And perhaps your view of a prophet is somebody in specific. Perhaps you're thinking of the Old Testament prophets, you know, the guys who went around in sackcloth and had questionable diets consisting mostly of insects. Perhaps you're thinking of a a more modern-day prophet, someone who speaks truth into the situations of church. Perhaps you're thinking of someone with a vaguely Mystic Meg-like quality. Does anybody remember Mystic Meg from, from the lottery years and years ago who predicts the future with, I'm getting, I'm getting something, something to do with the letter L and the number two, and that's really significant. Perhaps those are your images, and those are images that we have of prophecy and of prophets through the ages. Prophets are those people who are specially gifted, specially equipped, specially called to speak for God. Perhaps you haven't pictured yourself in that. How many of you would consider yourself to be prophetic, to speak for God? Today, we reach the end of our, uh, our brief exploration of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth as we think about the gifts of the Spirit and how we seek to use them in church life. In the first week, we thought about the source of the gifts, how the gifts come from God, and how that means we should be very careful not to make idols out of our gifts. In the second week, we thought about the purpose of those gifts, that they were to build the church up, that they're not for us and our personal platforms, but for the whole church, and the importance of recognizing that in ourselves and in other people, of honoring each other's gifts for greater unity, unity, not uniformity. And last week, we talked about how love is the defining characteristic, how the default position of the Christian should be that of love, and that actually our gifts are worthless, absolutely worthless. They are nothing unless we have love and the kind of love that God has for us, unless we use our gifts in love and deploy them appropriately. If I could have the PowerPoint, that'd be great. Thanks, Sue. Now, you'll see that the theme throughout this whole portion of this letter, and in fact, throughout Paul's whole correspondence with the Corinthian church, is to correct them, to offer some corrective, some guidance where they have misunderstood things. And you'll be unsurprised to know that that is going to continue in this morning's part of the letter. And the thing that Paul is doing here, both for the church at Corinth and for us, 
is helping us to grow in maturity. So Paul is helping us to step into a fullness of faith, a maturity of faith, a faith that, as he describes it, is adult and grown up and not infantile and childlike. And what Paul does is he writes way back in chapter 3 of the letter to the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling amongst you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For where one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human beings? What Paul is reminding us of here is that our call to maturity in Christ is a call to be more Christ-like in our natures. To become more like Jesus is our goal as Christians. That's what we're growing into. That's how we are called to grow. Now, the church at Corinth is very clearly divided, and it's divided over numerous issues, the gifts of the Spirit being but one of these things. And it's that division that is causing them to not grow. It's hindering their growth. They are divided. They are not united. There is infighting. There is quarreling. There is jealousy. And that is hampering the growth of the individuals and of the church community. You know, they're a lot like children engaging in one-upmanship. My gift is better than your gift. I'm more important to the church than you are. I've been doing this for years, so I know better. You, know, you can kind of imagine it, can't you, in the playground. Kids pushing each other. Yeah, well, I can do this better. My dad's bigger than yours. My gift's better than yours. And what Paul says, basically, is grow up. Grow up, church at Corinth. Grow up and stop behaving like this. Because unless you stop behaving like this, you're never going to grow into Christ-likeness. You're never going to become the people that God has made you to be. And you're never going to, therefore, be the church that God has made you to be. Now, we may not quarrel like infants. We may not say to one of them, I might be better than yours. We may not do that, but there are still things that unless we get the right understanding of our gifts, the right understanding of the way this all works, that are the same. It keeps us back. It holds us back. We be like infants, not able to progress onto solid food, not able to grow into the fullness of Christ. One of the things you may have picked up from uh, not just this series, but from a lot of what I've said about preaching is that context is important. You may have heard the old expression, context is king. So this is very important. It's been important throughout this letter, and it's been important throughout our exploration of the gifts. We haven't spent much time dwelling into what the gifts are, but understanding what they're for, because that's the context Paul is writing in. Let me give you an illustration of why context matters so much. Uh, When I went to college, I was traveling from uh, Minehead, where we were living at the time, to Bristol a few times a week and also would be spending a few weeks away. So I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy Rachel a gift. Uh, She doesn't know about this for reasons that will become clear in a minute. I thought, I'm going to buy Rachel something that she can have so when I'm not there, she can remember me. That's a sweet, I know, it's sweet, isn't it? See, I can be romantic, I can do big gestures. I may have forgotten Mother's Day last time, but I can do the big gestures. 
thing is, I was going to spend more and more time away from home. And, and I, I wanted Rachel to know that I would be thinking of her when I was away, that I would be uh, remembering her and praying for her and all those things. So I went to our local Christian uh, shop, and I found a necklace really, really nice little silver pendant necklace. And it had these words from Genesis 31 in. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? May the Lord keep watch between you and me. When we're always together, God's always watching over us. Beautiful. No matter where we were, God would be watching. Except, of course, except, of course, that when we go to the story that that verse comes from, When we go to Genesis 31, and if you're not immediately familiar with it, and I certainly wasn't at the time, it's where there's a nasty, an ugly, horrible conflict between Jacob and Laban. This is basically, and a lot of Genesis is like, it's a scripture meets EastEnders with plots worthy of soap operas. And this verse is not a romantic declaration of undying love. It's a cold, hard threat. God is going to watch us when we are apart to see how we are behaving. Needless to say, I didn't buy the necklace. The point is, context is important. Context matters. And 1 Corinthians 14, our verses for today, come with their own context. It flows out of what's come before, and it flows into what's about to happen. Now, if we read it in isolation, if we go to it looking for a particular proof text to support, say, talking in tongues or the prophetic gifts, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. Paul does commend prophecy, and he does commend tongues as gifts that are significant and important and part of the church's kind of spiritual toolkit. And charismatics across the world jump for joy and probably fall over as well. Enjoy, because there it is. It's there. Prophecy is real. It's existing. Tongues are real. They are live. They are active forces. But if we read this in context of the whole letter, and particularly in context of chapters 12 and 13. And remember, we're the ones who've done this. We've taken a letter that is contingent and continuous, and we've divided it up because we've got no attention span at all. But if we do that, something even more important emerges. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. We're going to follow Paul's train of thought. We're not going to do a deep dive into prophecy or tongues. Honestly, I don't have time to do that in one sermon this morning. If you want to deep dive into it, do read, do go and explore. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We are going to think about how Paul is using the examples of these important gifts to reinforce the main point that he is making. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got our sermon note sheet that's got the text on it, you want to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the first few verses. So here we are. The first thing is that when we are speaking for God, we are speaking to edify. We are speaking to edify. The first five verses of this say this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Follow the way of love. Immediately, 
Immediately, Paul is reminding us of what he has just said about how love is the basis, it's the foundation, it's the starting point, it's the boundary and the utter allness of who we should be as Christians. Love matters more than the gifts, yes, even more than the gifts of prophecy and of tongues. And it's only out of this context that Paul starts to talk about prophecy. And prophecy is quite possibly the most misunderstood and definitely the most misused gift of all. Here's a simple definition for us. Prophecy is a spiritual gift where the recipient is enabled to speak inspired words for God, by God, and to God's people. Prophecy is a spiritual gift where the recipient is enabled to speak inspired words for God, by God, and to God's people. This is a basic, fundamental definition of prophecy. Just take a moment with this, though. Prophecy is speaking for God, by God, to God's people. Prophecy is revelation. It's God's revelation into the lives of those whom he loves, those whom he has called to himself. Now, the nature of prophecy is that it takes kind of a threefold thing. And again, we're not going to go into a deep dive in this. Prophecy has three distinct functions in Scripture. It has the function of reminding people of God's story. That is uh, past telling, if you like, reminding people of God's story. It has the function that we mostly associate with, which is foretelling. That is saying about what's going to happen in the future. We see a lot of that in the Old Testament and perhaps most notably in the New Testament. We see that in John's Revelation, you know, all the crazy stuff about dragons and seals and trumpets that, that is really, really weird, but absolutely brilliant when you dig into it. And prophecy is also forth-telling. So that is speaking God's truth into the present situation. Okay, so we've got reminding people of God's story in the past. And if you look at the prophets, especially people like Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah and the folks who are doing this, who are, who are speaking into situations where Israel has walked away from God, they're reminding them they're being prophetic. Remember this. Remember that. Remember when God did this. You've got prophecy that is foretelling, that is speaking about what is to come. And you've got prophecy that is forth-telling, telling God's truth into society. Now, the nature of prophecy may be slightly different today. It may be that we have fewer prophets who are speaking into the future. It may be that we have more prophets who are speaking about the past and it certainly is the case that we have prophets who are speaking God's truth into society today. But it's still alive. Prophecy is still alive in God's church. It may look different and it may feel different, but it's still a living, active force. But it's big stuff. You're speaking for God. This is big stuff. This is significant stuff. If you want to be unpopular in church, be a prophet. Because you're speaking for God. You're speaking truth into a world that doesn't want to hear truth. When you were growing up, did you ever believe, I don't know if you believed it, I believe this, that the tongue was the strongest muscle? Have you ever heard that? The tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. Actually, apparently it's not true. Depending on how you measure strength and things, the tongue isn't the strongest uh, muscle in the body, but it is the most powerful. Scripture knows 
that the tongue is the most powerful muscle in the body. Proverbs is full. In fact, the whole of Scripture is full, but Proverbs especially is full of reminders of the significance of how we speak. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Those who guard their mouths and keep their tongues keep themselves from calamity. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. And that's just a handful that I picked, and I could have picked a load more, and we could have spent the next hour just going through all of the passages in Scripture. Our words have power. Jesus reminds us of the power of our words. And he says this, but I tell you that everyone, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Everyone on the day of judgment will give account for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Scary stuff. He also goes on to say, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Friends, our words matter. Our words are significant, and this is not Jesus talking about prophecy. This is not Proverbs talking about prophecy. This is Jesus. This is the authors of these parts of Scripture talking about the way we speak in everyday interaction. Paul has already taken the Corinthian church to task over their speech. And he will write about the power of words, both positive and negative, to basically every church that he writes to. Sometimes when I think I've got this Christian thing down, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, I've got this. Yeah, I'm doing discipleship. I've got it right. I'm all right. I'm doing a good thing. Sometimes, just to pull myself up short, I like to read uh, James's epistle. If you want to feel bad about yourself as a Christian, read James. It is a really challenging read, but it's a really inspirational one as well. James devotes a significant portion of his letter to this. And these words from James 3, 5 to 8 sit on my heart. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. A world of evil among the parts of the body is your tongue. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it sets itself on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sisters and brothers, we have the power of life and death in our words. Our words can tear down. They can destroy ministries. They can corrupt faith. They can do untold damage. They can push people away from Jesus if we do not tame our tongues. If we are negative, if we offer unfounded, unfair criticism, if we gossip if we use our words to hurt and to demean, to tarnish and lie. Do you remember that old, I remember being picked on at school and my parents would say to me, there, there, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. 
That is rubbish. Yes, sticks and stones will absolutely break your bones and words will scar you forever. Tame your tongue. And that's just with our human words. So now let's go back. Imagine the importance and significance of claiming to speak for God. Imagine the damage you could do. Imagine the hurt you could cause when you claim to speak for God and you do those worldly things instead. Because how do you argue against someone who claims to be speaking for God, who claims God's authority and what they're saying? Maybe you've been blessed. Maybe you've been fortunate and no one has spoken a word of alleged prophecy over you that has caused harm. If you are, you're amongst the minority. If you have had those words spoken over you, know this, they didn't come from God. They came from someone's worldliness. They came from someone's misdirected heart. I think God is telling me this, normally followed by some kind of weird criticism that's basically a personal preference dressed up as a prophetic word. I think God is telling me you need to I think God is saying you should. And it's always negative, isn't it, sisters and brothers? God is telling me you need to pray more. Well, yeah, okay, but why are you telling me I need to pray more? God is telling me you need to be in this meeting. And these are harmless versions of it, by the way. God is telling me you need to donate all your money to this particular ministry. God is telling me you need to put up with my abuse. God is telling me whatever it is. That's not prophecy. That's personal preference dressed up. And it is a perversion of the gospel. And it is a perversion of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's spiritual abuse. And it has no place in the church of God. If you have been on the receiving end of one of those prophetic words, find someone after the service and pray with them. Help us pray it out. Because that wasn't from God. So how do you know what's from God How do you know when a prophecy is from God? Because I believe, I believe that God does still speak through people. And I believe God speaks to us. And I believe God speaks to us to speak to other people. So here's how we know. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Is it edifying? Is it going to build you up? Is it going to bring comfort and strength and encouragement? Yes, it's probably a prophecy. It's certainly more likely to be than something that makes you feel absolutely awful about yourself and makes you wish you'd not got up that morning and makes you want to give it all up and chuck it all in. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. And friends, what is good is what is scriptural. What is good is what is scriptural. It's whatever edifies and builds up the church. The prophetic gifts are to do this. They are to edify. They are to help build. They are to bring comfort and security and peace and encouragement to the church and to the believer. And they are to bring us collectively and corporately closer to Christ. How do we identify prophecy? True prophecy is simple. Does it point us to Jesus? 
does it point us, does it reveal something to us about Jesus? Because if it doesn't, it's probably not prophecy. If it does, test it. True prophecy will never, ever contradict the revelation of Jesus Christ as attested to in Scripture. Let me say that again. True prophecy will never contradict the revelation of Jesus Christ as attested to in Scripture. So to break that down a bit, if it's real prophecy, it's going to be in line with what we know about Jesus from the Bible. If it's real prophecy, it won't contradict the Bible. If it's real prophecy, it won't contradict Jesus. If it's real prophecy, it will not add anything. It will be entirely in line, in keeping, and completely scriptural. doesn't mean it's going to say exactly the same thing as scripture, because God will often use prophets to cast new light, but it's not going to contradict scripture, and it's not going to contradict the revelation of Christ that we see. If it's prophecy, it points to Jesus It builds us up. It points us to Christ. It calls us to be more Christ-like. Jesus makes it really clear, though, that there will be those who walk among us who are false prophets. There will be those who claim the gift of prophecy. There will be those who claim to speak for God who do not. He says this, watch out for false prophets. This is in Jesus' time, by the way. This is in Jesus' time he's writing this. This is not something new. This is not just the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of me. This is something that was going on when the Son of God was here on earth, speaking prophetically, revealing himself, revealing God to the world. This is nothing new. Watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Is it pointing to Jesus? John equally cautions us, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have already heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Does it point to Jesus? There's your litmus test. There's your yes or no. This one is a pretty black and white situation. Does it point to Jesus? Yes. Test it. Does it point to Jesus and it aligns with scripture? Yes. Test it. Does it point to Jesus and it aligns with scripture and it builds you up and encourages you and strengthens you and grows the church? It's probably a prophecy. And if it fails in any one of those things, it's not. True prophecy is for the edification of the church. It builds up. 
it builds up because when God speaks, God speaks to build. <clears throat> and I'm not going to read this next portion of scripture, but it's 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. But let's do another quick definition. Let's do another quick definition of tongues. Tongues is a spiritual gift where God grants the ability to prophesy in another language. Tongues is a spiritual gift where God grants the ability to prophesy in another language. So all that that we've just said about prophecy still applies to tongues because tongues is another form of prophecy. Now, don't hear me wrong here. <clears throat> Lots of people use tongues in different ways. Lots of people will sing in tongues. They will sing in, in words that we don't understand in our Western context or words we don't understand in our human context. Lots of people use tongues to pray. That's not what Paul is talking about. Okay? That is one use of tongues for personal spiritual growth and personal communion with God. What Paul is talking about is collectively in our worship services. When we gather together to worship, where there is a gift of tongues, it is a prophecy given in another language that requires interpretation. Because the litmus test is what? Intelligibility to build the church. Perhaps you're picking up on Paul's theme here. This is all to build the church. It's all to build the church. It's, it's about growing together. It's about growing individually and together. The, the danger we face is when we get this wrong, we turn church, we turn Christianity into a, a kind of social club where we like what we like and we want to experience what we want to experience. You know what I mean? We like what we like. I like this, but I don't like that, so I'm not going to engage with that. I like this experience, but I didn't like this experience, so I'm not going to engage with this experience. That's not church, because true faith, true worship, true church is not about expressing yourself however you want, because it's not about you. This is another mantra you may recognize. It's not about us. It's about God. It's coming under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God and giving ourselves over to him. It's not about individuals finding the spotlight. It's about turning that spotlight onto Jesus and making him the everything, the all of who we are. If you're speaking in tongues and there is no interpretation, how does that build the church? If you're speaking in tongues, are you doing it for yourself? Which is fine in private prayer. It's fine in times of corporate worship where you might be singing in tongues. But it's prophecy that is designed to build the church because ultimately when we speak for God, we speak for good. Ultimately, we speak for good. And isn't it the case that we all speak for God? One way or another, isn't it a case that we're all speaking for God? We're bearing witness to God in our lives, in our speech, in the way we live. Our lives bear witness, they should bear witness to the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our testimonies should point people towards the grace and mercy of God. And our words should be a reflection of all that is good and right because God is the source of all that is good and right. Each of us is called to speak for God. We're called to speak God's truth into a world that is full of lies. 
We're called to speak God's love into a world that idolizes hatred. We're called to speak God's grace into a world that refuses to forgive. And we're called to declare with our lips the good news of Jesus Christ. To tell all who do not know about him. To share the story of redemption and restoration that has saved us. So if we all speak with God, surely we have to do this with the awe and the reverence and the wonder and the dignity and the gravity that it demands. Sometimes to build up the church, it means we're going to have to deny ourselves. Sometimes it means we're going to have to lay ourselves down, our wants, our wishes, our desires, our personal preferences for the good of the body. And if we want to really speak for God, we've got to learn to stop speaking so much for ourselves. We've got to speak to edify. We've got to speak to build up. We've got to speak for the good of the world. Friends, this is kind of the end of our brief exploration of gifts, and we could have done a lot more on this. We could have spent months digging into the spiritual gifts and digging into the minutiae of what Paul is saying. But the truth is that the problems we see in the church at Corinth are problems we still face today and we must overcome today in order to see the church built up. So if these brief three verses over four weeks that we've explored from 1 Corinthians teaches us anything. It's this, that mutual building up, motivated by love, where each of us seeks to use our gifts in the service of the community is the way the church grows. So let's commit ourselves today to these things. Let's remember the source and the giver of all good gifts. Let's not make idols of the gifts or ourselves, and let's use those gifts for the common good, building the church in unity without demanding uniformity. Let's be a people governed a first and above all by love, and let's speak for God by building up, by encouraging, by edifying, by nourishing, by supporting, strengthening, serving, and boosting one another so that Jesus may be seen and known. Friends, our gifts are not about us. They're about God. They're not for us, they're for God and they're for his church. May God grant to each of us what he desires for his church here to be built. And let's honor that and once again place ourselves into his service. Let's pray. Lord, Father, we thank you for the prophets who have spoken to us through the ages, those who are attested to in Scripture and those who are attested to throughout the history of the church. We thank you, Lord, that they have called us to remember your story, that they have spoken your truth into the reality that we live in. And we thank you, Lord, for all of those who have spoken about the coming of your kingdom the hope that we have because Jesus is coming back. Help us, Father, to lay down any sense of ourselves as we use our gifts to serve the church. Help us to build one another up. Help us to encourage. Help us to strengthen. Help us to nourish. Help us to grow. Help us to be a people who speak life and not death. Help us to guard our words, help us to guard our hearts, and help us above all, Lord, to align ourselves with you, for we long to see your kingdom established here on earth, through Jesus Christ, in whose name and for whose sakes we pray. 
Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Holton Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to keep in touch with you, so do reach out to us. You'll be able to find us at our website. That's www.holtonbaptists.org.uk. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram if you search for at Holton Baptists. And we hope that you will join us again next time as we share the word of God and the love of Jesus Christ with you. God bless.